we are going to look today uh, we're digging into the fountain gate uh, and there are seven are you surprised there's seven no because seven is extremely important in the Bible seven is means complete so there are seven things that are going to be a blessing for us in our lives but the problem is you will not have them if you have not been obedient at the dung gate and you get lifted to the fountain gate some of these can only be accessed if you are at the fountain gate and you cannot take yourself to the fountain gate that's only in the power of the Holy Spirit so we've been studying that and I'll be reviewing that just a little bit to get us in context of the fountain gate there are seven blessings and today we're going to look at several of them some of them briefly we will zero in on the armory and the house of heroes very interesting lessons that have a lot of spiritual application for you and me now here's our map our very basic little map that we've had since the beginning of the study and remember we started where at the sheep gate in the upper right corner and we will make a counterclockwise journey until we wind up at the judgment seat of Christ and so this is a fascinating lesson to me talking about our Christian walk our Christian journey from the time that we're born again and accept Christ spiritually speaking you and I have been at the valley gate and if you can see my red arrows the valley gate is kind of part way down on the left side so I have the red arrow and then where is the lowest point in our journey the dung gate which we all love because it's going to help keep us clean when we confess our sin it makes us usable and so when and we're on the potter's wheel and it's the washing of the water of the word that keeps our clay wet and so we be, we're soft and pliable and we don't become hardened and when we are in that place then the Holy Spirit will empower us to be able to live the spirit filled life which is at the fountain gate so it's just a wonderful picture and we've been all through that over the last few weeks now at the valley gate what was the purpose the valley gate is one of the two gates called a purifying gate this is where we start having trials and tribulations in our lives and sometimes they come as kind of a shock hey I'm born again I thought this Christian life was supposed to be a rosy bed no it's full of thorns because it is a difficult thing to to live especially if you try to live it in your own flesh so we're gonna have trials and tribulations and I began to understand this I've, I've, I've done a testimony I remember some of my first trials around age 33 and so what happened God was trying to teach me I'm trying to refine you I am trying to polish you because his purpose for every one of us is to conform us into the image of his son correct and we cannot do that ourselves you can try as hard as you want and you will not be like Jesus it's only done in the power of the Holy Spirit that you will ever have the character and the attributes and the fruit of the Spirit so he's got to he's got to bring me where I'm looking to him learning to trust him and let him do his work in me and every valley every tribulation that comes in my life should lead me to a posture of humility and when you're letting the trial do its work you're ready to go to the dung gate 
and you're ready to stay in the posture at the dung gate. And here we are in the upper right corner. I love this picture because it, it reminds me of my posture. I am to be bowed before him in humility and the Holy Spirit controlling me. So this is where this starts at the dung gate. This is what I call a place where I come to absolute surrender. Whatever he allows to come into my life. And this is a place of cleansing. It's a place of confession. We, uh, we uh, rely on 1 John 1, 9. If I'm faithful to confess my sins, is he faithful to forgive and cleanse? And then the uh, fellowship is restored. And so this is cleansing. It's confession. It's getting the trash out of my life. I tell you sometimes if you don't keep confessing your sins, then you're going to need to spend a few weeks having a roto-rooter job because it piles up, does it not? It piles up and he has no control over you and then your flesh is screaming at you. And then you're, you're thinking about envy and jealousy and, and being critical and all of those things. And then you've got to stay at the dung gate again and get all cleaned out. So it's better to do it as a daily practice or during the day when you know, well, I need to, I need to confess that. Do it. You know, it just has, it has to become that way. So our scripture there is, you, Lord, are the Father. You are, you are the clay, and we are the potter, and we are the work of your hand. So, and we've talked about how am I going to stay, what will keep me moist and pliable? The water of the word. So you take this word, and you know, you know me, I'm so visual, so I can place it in my study. I can place it over my head. You know, and I just like, I want to be washed by the water of the word so that me as the clay stays pliable. So you can do to me whatever you need to. Now, we have obedience at the dung gate. And when I'm obedient there, what happens? Wow, the Holy Spirit, he can take control. You pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will empower you to now begin living the spirit-filled life. When you're born again, does it not tell us we have a well of salvation in us? It's a well, and it's a deep well. But then when the Holy Spirit gets control of me, what happens? It begins to overflow, and there should be rivers of living water pouring out of me. That's your fountain gate. And so when he has control, it just spills out of me whether I'm trying to make it or not, because I can't make it. It just... He's the one that does the work. And he empowers me now to live this spirit-filled life. So you come before the Lord. You want to be cleansed. You want to be prepared for God's power. And it's going to be revealed in the next three gates, which are the fountain, the water, and the horse. And so those will be the next three gates that we study. So this fountain is your first power gate. And what should you be noticing in your life if you're being obedient at the dung gate? I'm getting a few deer looks, deer in the headlight. Are y'all following me? Okay, good. <laughs> Remember, we're growing together, right? So we're all growing together. And so if you are applying everything that we've been talking about, you should know what I'm talking about. And you should be experiencing it in your life. These rivers of living water, just flowing out of you because we're going to find that the, the Gihon Spring, remember they filled it, and then there was an overflow. And it's the, the overflow we're talking about, and next week we'll find out what they did with the overflow. 
the fullness of the Holy Spirit is here the power of the Holy Spirit now remember I don't want anybody to get confused when you're born again are you baptized by the Holy Spirit yes all of us are that is a one time thing but do we constantly need to have a fresh filling yes so that's when you confess your sin and you go to Ephesians 5.18 there's a command be you continuously filled with the Holy Spirit so I, I have sin that needs confessed and I ask him please fill me with your Holy Spirit by faith I believe that you have that's what I always say by faith if I've asked I believe that you have so and then we get the power of the Holy Spirit at this gate now the fountain gate is the first power gate and it's going to mark a change of position in our study when we've done all these other gates leading up to it the emphasis has been on God or Jesus Christ in the gate because he's in every gate but it's our response to him how did man respond to him at the sheep gate you either accept his blood-bought sacrifice or you don't how did I respond to him in the valley you either respond correctly to the trials and tribulations or you shake your fist in rebellion and say why are you doing this to me and you you go off against God so we've seen God is in the gate but our response is also there but when I get to the fountain gate it's going to be different when we get to the fountain gate remember we said last week there's a section from the dung gate to the fountain gate the wall didn't have to be repaired now the gates did but the little wall connecting them did not have to be repaired why it is the work of God himself and from there on I'm at the dung gate responding to him in obedience and he does the work from now on the rest of it those power gates it is God himself how was it accomplished by Jesus Christ going through the solid rock and it's effective because of the power of the Holy Spirit y'all see that yeah so the rivers of living water start taking effect in me when I've been obedient at the dung gate he lifts me to the fountain gate I begin living that spirit-filled life and it just he just does the work okay now we're going to read verse 14 and 15 from Nehemiah 3 the dung gate we remember was repaired by Malchiah he was the one that would come do it and remember he had to put aside his robes because he was a judge he had to put aside put aside his glory and he's the one that repaired the dung gate he built it he set up the doors the locks thereof and the bars thereof but the gate of the fountain was repaired by Shallon he was the son of Kohosa the ruler of part of Mizpah and I've given you some of the meanings of the word Shallon in the Old Testament always look up your names because they were significant Shallon means retribution man of prosperity it comes from the verb Shalom which means gonna make you whole gonna make you complete at the fountain gate and it also means to prosper so it says this is Shallon we're at the fountain gate he built it he covered it he set up the doors thereof the locks thereof and the bars thereof now you're gonna see familiar places the wall of the pool of Siloam there was a wall there by the king's garden and there's some stairs that go down from the city of David that's significant these are going to be some of our places of blessing now these represent 
over a couple of verses, you're going to see the seven places that are seven blessings for you and me after we've been baptized in the Spirit at the Sheep Gate. And then we begin being filled with the Holy Spirit at the Dung Gate, leading us to the place as I go to the Fountain Gate in these different places now, I'm going to get my marching orders to be one of God's mighty men or women. And then we will start living that Spirit-filled life. But this gate, can you imagine when you start living a spirit-filled life and you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're having victory over sin, you're having victory over the circumstances in your life, what's Satan going to do? Woo, do you have a huge target on you? Because if you're over there crying and whining in the valley, Satan doesn't really need to bother you. But you get over here and start living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are going to have a huge target on you. It is concentrated satanic attack. And I think from another lesson, uh, they determined that uh, when Nebuchadnezzar and them came, this area at the fountain gate had more damage than any other place. Remember Nehemiah on his night ride? He got up there and the beast couldn't even go because of all the damage. So this is concentrated Satan attack. If you start uh, living that spirit-filled life and you get a taste of it, Satan is after you. Now, some of these places we're going to talk about can only be accessed if you are willing to go to the, through the fountain gate. Now, I've given you a map, and I think it came out pretty clear uh, on your paper. If you will start in the bottom left corner of your map, do you see the dung gate? I hear nothing. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and then if you go just a little bit to the right, you see the fountain gate. You see a little wall there between them. Okay, now we'll go up the right side to start with. From the fountain gate, you see there are steps that now will lead to Zion. The Gihon Spring is there on the outside. Okay, then you have the tomb of David. We're going to find a watering pool. We're going to find the house of the mighty. And then then the water gate will be our next gate up there. Now go across, and we're going to come down. We find the armory. We find the king's garden, and the arrow actually goes way down to the bottom left. And then you see the pool of Siloam. Okay, so we have the two gates, the dung and the fountain gate, but you got seven things in there, and each one of them is a blessing for you and me, and they are only there by the fountain gate. See, this is enlarged so you can see everything. Okay, everybody have their map and you know where we are. Okay, so these are the seven blessings. Now, one of them, which we're not going to spend any time on because we've spent a lot of time on it, you can find where the Pool of Siloam is on your map. We know that the word means sent, and we know that this pool was to where you go to be purified and cleansed before you could ascend into God's house in his presence. This is where Jesus sent the blind man, the man who was born blind, to go wash his eyes so we know all the stuff that happened around this pool called the king's pool. Now, letter B, we had that pilgrim road, the steps at, from the city of David, the lower city of David, clear up to Zion. That was that pilgrim road where they would cleanse themselves at the pool and then go on up into God's presence, the steps to Zion. Uh, 
And we talked about the fact the steps lead down uh, to, for humility and for purification before you can go into God's presence. You go to God's presence from a, hu from a point of humility, always. Now, and I showed you pictures where they are, uh, the archaeologists are excavating this, and there are, this is all underground right now, but tourists can actually go on it. These are some of the steps that are on this pilgrim road. And this is your spiritual application here. When you think about these steps that are here for you and me, we have step-by-step -step guidance of the Lord who will take us from one level to another in our spiritual growth. Okay, I see question marks. These steps, remember, from a place of humility before you could go into God's presence, application for you and me. I have step, from my place of humility, I have step-by-step -step guidance of God and the Holy Spirit taking me to new levels of spiritual maturity in my walk with him. Okay. Verse 16 of Nehemiah. Now after him repaired Nehemiah the son of Azbuk, the ruler of the half part of the Bezur, over to the place over against the sepulcher of David. So this is where David's tomb is. And there's a pool that they made. And there's a house of the mighty. So we have three more things here. Now, if you look on your map, you can see where David's tomb was. And David is an example of somebody that lived a life of released worship. And so, and rulership. This, when we begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit, should it change the way we worship the Lord? Absolutely. So that's what I get from this is where David, his resting place, and he was such a dynamic worshiper of God. And that's exactly what you and I should be. Now, we want to look at a watering pool. If you find your watering pool, it's also uh, in that on your map. And this was a man-made pool. Now, why did they have this pool? It was called a camel drinking pool. And so think of all the travelers coming at different times. Many of them had camels. Did they need a place for refreshment? Yes, and so they made this pool. This was during Solomon's time, and it speaks of the times of refreshing that every time you have a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, can you tell when you've been cleansed? And it's like your, your fellowship is restored. And that's what this pool represents. This is a blessing we have at the fountain gate. Now, verse 19. And next to him repaired Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the ruler of Mizpah, another piece over against the going up to the armory at the turning of the wall. So you can kind of see this on your map, but we're going to focus just a few minutes here on this blessing of the armory. Now this speaks of all the spiritual gifts God has given us, and has he given us a complete set of armor that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, and I am not going into any depth on this. If you want to go into depth on it, I refer you to the archives on our website of 2022, Lessons 13 to 23. So we went into every piece of that just last year. So if you want to go in over all that again, that's where you would go. I'm just going to say from Ephesians 6.10, 
put on the whole armor of God. You're not going to be able to cherry pick. It is a whole armor of God. He says, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Because at the fountain gate, when you start living a spirit-filled life, you're going to have more and more satanic attack. And so we've got to be able to stand firm because we have this armor on. Now, many of us like to go to a cafeteria. Because at a cafeteria, I can get what I like, Paul can get what, what he likes, and when we had three kids, they could get what they like. But... A commentator said, you cannot do this spiritually, right? You can't go up there and say, well, I want the helmet today, and maybe I want uh, the breastplate, but I don't, I don't want the rest of it today. No, you have to have the whole armor of God. Notice the word whole, W-H-O-L-E. You think, I don't need that today. Well, you don't know what you're going to need. <laughs> yeah, when my day starts about 4 o'clock in the morning, I have no idea what I'm going to need by 8 because things happen things come up now what happens if I say I don't need to worry about putting on the armor today well when temptation comes your way later that day what happens you are going to fall into temptation because you don't have on the whole armor of God and so we fall into temptation Satan defeats us then we feel guilty and then we got to go to the dung gate and you know it just goes on and on and we have disobeyed God's command because what was the command? Put on the whole armor of God. Now, we rely on God's strength, right? We have to because we don't have any. And that's a hard lesson for a lot of us to learn. I have no strength. I have no power. There was nothing I could do to change Laura. That was a very hard thing to come to because a lot of us mothers want to fix everything, right? So we have to learn to rely on God's strength and use his armor, but I have to take the initiative to put it on and stand firm in the battle because we love Jesus Christ and we are submitted to him. So we want to obey the commands. Now, it's not a matter of me just letting go all these trials that come up in my life. I'm just going to let go and let God... No, we don't have a real passive role and say, God will just do it all. But we don't go to the other extreme either. And I don't grit my teeth that I can do this myself. And I'll occasionally ask God for his help. See, those are our two extremes. And we don't, we don't uh, live life in either one of those extremes. Paul says in Colossians 1.29, he says, I labor striving with his power and energy which so greatly works within me so our christian walk our christian life it's a blending of his power with our striving because we do a lot of striving we do a lot of striving to live the christian life but it's with his power and energy so if he tells me I'm reading and it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Is that a divine command? It is a divine command. And any time he gives a command, is he going to give you the power to fulfill the command? Absolutely. But you've got to, you've got to obey the full command to get the power. All right. Now we're going to move to where I'm going to camp. This is, uh, 
we're going to do this is the sixth blessing and I'm going to do number seven next week but this is number six and we're going to talk about the house of the mighty men and this just jumped out at me when I was studying it the other morning David's mighty men dwelt at the fountain gate that's where, they, that's where their dwelling place was you want to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of God? David's men dwelt. You know what it means? That's where you put down roots. That's where you stay. At the fountain gate. I thought that was really good. So let's look at this. And we're going to go back to King David. We know he depended on God, correct? We know that he had at least special soldiers, about 30 of them, called his mighty men that God raised up in the life of King David. And remember, they dwelt. I, I thought that was just, um, I don't know the word, but it just hit me. And I stopped and I thought about that for a while. To be a mighty man, they didn't leave the fountain gate. They, they would go out, but they came back and that's where they dwelt. So you and I, these um, mighty men, they were mighty in valor and faith and in the power of God. They wound up offering their lives on the altar of the king. Now, why would they give up their life for their king? Because they loved and they respected and they honored their king. And these were men that we're talking about to a human king. All right. Now, you and I are going to go to 2 Samuel 23. And these are David's words as he is reflecting when he's about to die. And he's going to go back and recall some incidences that happened in his young life, even before he became king. So I kind of identify with what he's talking about here in Second Samuel. They call this David's swan song. And these are some of his last words. For my 75th birthday a couple of months ago, my oldest daughter gave me a gift called StoryWorth, if you're familiar with this. So she said, Mom, this is your birthday gift, but it's really for me, for her. So what did I find out? She sent me a question every Monday, and I have... she. This will go on for 52 weeks. And so she sends me a question every Monday that I then have time to answer the question. And then at the end of a year or so, it's made into a book. I can put pictures in it, and then it's given a copy to each of my three kids and one to me. Now, it's a wonderful idea, but this is taking hours of my life. And so the first question... That's what reminded me. Now that you're 75, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I wrote seven pages. <laughs> Took some pictures. So she's asked me some very thought-provoking questions that if they're causing me to reflect back on my younger life. And some things, I ended, I ended one of them with... I, as I write this and think about some of the things that I thought and did, 
it can almost bring some shame to me that I was kind as a teenager very self-centered and I'm writing that to my kids you know so you know how you want to say things to your kids about your faith and your values but you don't say it to them face to face when they're adults she opened the door and so I'm able to tell a lot of things in this book that is being written so it is a sacrifice of my time but I believe it will be useful for my kids because they can read my uh, answer each week and so Michelle especially is writing back to me and she said mom I'm beginning to see you as a person wow <laughs> I'm 75 and I'm finally a person <laughs> and not just as mom and she sees as I tell about some of the the things that were in my childhood how poor we were and different things she and what my parents what it was like for them didn't even know my mother crying because she didn't know where she was going to get a dime to buy me a, a packet of notebook paper that I needed you know so those kind of things your kid my kids didn't really know so she's beginning to understand and see more and she's called me several times and said mom I just appreciate you taking time to do this because she's the one eating it up and loving it so uh, I thought of that when it says this is David Swan song and he's getting close to the end of his life and he's going to reflect back on some very early things in his life so we are going to actually he's recalling an incident from 1 Samuel 22 and now where is he Saul's people have been after him again and he's seeking refuge and he's in the cave at Adullam so that's the setting of where we are now David was he chosen by God to become the king of the nation of Israel he was was he anointed by Samuel even as a teenager little sheep, uh, shepherd boy yes but he's not going to become king for a long time at least 10 years or so so during this time God is going to spend time disciplining David and he's going to be trained by God before he takes the throne so God is preparing David here you know I'm, you're going to be king I've anointed you but you are going to spend all this time being trained so that when it when it's time you will be the king that I want you to be now are y'all getting any spiritual application here boy I did you and I years ago in Whistler's house I did a series called training to reign and this is where we one of the places we started you and I did God say has he ordained that we would rule and reign be kings and priests with him in his kingdom is that what he desires for his church yes and so we can go to Genesis 1 26 and 27 right in there and he's when he made man in his image he said I want you I want <laughs> I want you to uh, be in his image yeah and uh, then they're going to rule and have dominion over the fish of the sea the fowl of the air every creeping thing and they were going to rule and reign that's his purpose now it's going to happen over here but all of us who have been born again and we're now in his army he's training me 
I keep saying we're in boot camp and he's doing everything he can to train us so when the time comes he said you pass the training and you will get to have that position that he ordained back in Genesis y'all with me but he, you've got to come under the training now this is the training time right now so let's go with David in 1 Samuel 22 verse 1 David departed from there remember when he went and acted insane drooling in his beard okay so he had to get out of there and he goes to the cave of Adullam his brothers and his father's house heard it and they go down there to him he soon joined by 400 men which would increase to 600 now let's look at the men that came to David here's David who's supposed to be king he's hiding in a cave running for his life and all these people hear about it and look who shows up to comfort him those who came in distress they were in pain they were grieving they had a great need because they were being persecuted by Saul another group they were in debt and about to be sold into slavery these are all the people coming to him and the third group they're discontented and unhappy with what life had off had to offer them this sounds like a great group coming and I'm in the cave and these are the people that are coming to me these men many of them were resentful they were bitter and hostile because they've been wronged and mistreated by Saul and so here they are going to David David listened to this David trained them and he worked with them and David is a type of Christ correct he worked with them and he trained them and they became the best army in the history of Israel he took those that came to him the outcasts those that had been mistreated etc he trained them now notice this they did not begin with a characteristic of being a mighty man there was not a mighty man thing in them but this illustrates to you and me what should my relationship be with the Lord as his follower and a soldier of Christ I'm to allow him to train me and I, whatever he uses to train me because I want to be found fit at the judgment seat of Christ to have the position in the kingdom with him that he has ordained that I should be now in those days honor came from doing exploits for the king so I'm going to take his top three guys and we're going to look at Adeno, Eliezer and Shama this was the inner circle and let's see how these three became mighty heroes who dwelt at the fountain gate so now I like this picture I know it is not biblical but it's actually from the nutty Bible <laughs> so this is illustrating our first mighty hero this is a, a Deno, and he became the chief of all the captains and what's the scripture it says he lift up his spear against 800 that he slew at one time now that's even hard for us to even comprehend and we know they did not line up and say I'm just waiting my turn <laughs> we know that but this illustrates he did 800 men with a spear wow okay 
he did not give up when he was outnumbered he was a man of courage but where does our courage and strength come from from God alone and his dwelling place is at the fountain gate where you have the power of the Holy Spirit and you're enabled to do what he asks you to do he did so much with just one spear when God was behind it now we're going to go to number two Eleazar and he's the son of Dodo the Ahohite I guess one of the three mighty men with David and listen they have defied the Philistines and they are all gathered there to battle so here's all the enemy they've come against us to battle and where where's all of our army where are they they fled away everybody of, of Israel fled away they went away so he arose and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary his hand clave unto the sword some translations say it was frozen and he was tired and what happened the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people here come the people y'all are coming back now but you know what he didn't care he shared the spoil with them why I think that's on my next slide or maybe the next one he fought side by side with David against the Philistines the rest of the Israelite army just retreated and here they went he and David standing their ground he's weary but he will not let go of his sword he keeps fighting and fighting the Lord honored the faith and courage of Eliezer and David he gave him a great victory two men against an entire battalion but they're triumphant this is like the last man standing who has the victory as Eliezer's hand became one with his weapon we need our hand frozen to this right here we become one with our weapon you've got to know this word if you don't know it you're going to go down in defeat you've got to become one with your weapon now Eliezer he wasn't selfish about sharing the spoils of the battle even though they all retreated where did the victory come from God the Lord gave the victory so he's willing to share the spoils even with all of them that left because it wasn't his victory it was God's victory in the situation so the word standing firm here and we go back to also in Ephesians it's a key word in Ephesians 6 and three times you're going to see the word in verses 11 13 and 14 about standing firm you will only do it it says if you put on the whole armor where was the armory at the fountain gate y'all see how all this is tying in at the fountain gate when you become empowered when the rivers of living water are flowing out of you you've been obedient and now you're filled with the Holy Spirit the armor all of it is together and you can become a mighty man or a mighty woman of God this is from a Greek compound word the root is to stand it means literally to stand against it's a military term I'm gonna hold on my position even though it's under attack hold on it implies the courage that you will hold your ground because of your allegiance to King Jesus and I want to tell you Jesus loves his church Jesus loves his church he died and he gave himself for it and when the church is under attack we need to stand our ground 
even when others may be fleeing from the battle because the enemy can seem very strong. This is a letter from a missionary in New Guinea. He said, Man, it is great to be in the thick of the fight. Really? Okay? Because I'm drawing the old devil's heaviest guns. He's at you. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants to slander you and fill you with disease. He doesn't waste much time on a lukewarm bunch. Jesus doesn't either. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He hits good and hard when a fellow's hitting him. You can always measure the weight of your blow by the one you get back. Now, when you're on your back with fever, remember he's in New Guinea, he's a missionary, and in your last ounce of strength, when some of your converts are backsliding, and you learn that your most promising inquirers, all those people that used to send you money and send you letters to support you, they're only fooling and your mail gets held up, and some don't even bother to answer your letters. Is that the time to put on mourning? He says, no, sir, not now. He says, that's the time to put out, pull out all the stops and shout, hallelujah. The old fellow's getting it in the neck and hitting back. And he says, that's, that cloud of witnesses up in heaven, they're just watching what's going on. They're leaning over, and they're watching. Is he going to stick with it? He's, they're watching. And he says, they see who is with us. They're looking down. They see who is with us. They say, hey, you're, you have unlimited resources. You have boundless resources. They see there is, there's not an, a possibility of failure. When you're, on, when you're on the Lord's side, how disgusted and sad they must be if we run away. Glory to God, he said, we're not running away. We're going to stand. Now we're going to go to Shama. Oh, don't we love Shama? Number three. And we'll, we're going to dig into his life a little bit more. He's one of David's mighty men that illustrates you have to stand firm in the battle. He took a stand and he defended his ground in the pea patch. And you think, boy, that was stupid. Over a little ground of beans. Well, let's see. The Philistines have gathered together, and they are in a troop, and the only piece of ground there is full of these lentils or beans or peas. So what are the Israelites doing again? Fleeing from the Philistines. Okay. Now, but Shammah stationed himself right in the middle of that piece of ground, he defended it, and he killed the Philistines. The Lord brought about the great victory. Do you notice every one of these mighty men, when they stand firm, who gives the victory? God. Now, it says it must have been harvest time when all this happened because the when the soldiers showed up, the Bible says the field was busy, full of people. So they're usually out there at harvest time. They're busy about getting in their crops, and they're working and unprepared for a fight. So the next paragraph or so I have is from a guy named Colinda who wrote a book about Shama and the pea patch. Perhaps it was an ordinary day in Israel. 
the people are going about their daily business as usual and on the outskirts of the city we've got a remote field out here and there's a group of laborers and they're harvesting a meager little crop of peas suddenly a shadow falls on that pea patch from the hills what's causing the shadow here come hundreds of Philistine soldiers appearing armed in full battle gear battle gear and what happens to the heart of the people they are scared to death and so they are going to run away the farmers they're just mere peasants what's their weapons they have a spade and a hoe and other agricultural tools they said we have no chance against this professional army and remaining if I remain in that field it will mean death they look down at their little pea patch it's so located on an insignificant plot of land and they said this is not worth risking my life for to defend this so they dropped their little farming tools and off they went I want you to look at this statement the enemy found no opposition no opposition to what he was trying to do unfortunately for the Philistines there's one man in the field that day and he's not a peasant or a farmer he was one of David's mighty men because he dwelt at the fountain gate and he was totally armed he was one of David's mighty warriors because of his allegiance to David as king Shammah took his place and he stood firm and he fought and the Lord brought the victory so he risked his life to defend a pea patch filled of lentils and barley everyone else fled but he stood his ground he wasn't affected by what everybody else was doing he said I'm going to do what's right this patch of beans belongs to our king think about a patch of beans think about think about a church that may be in a struggle it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ this land this pea patch belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ and it was given to Israel to use for his glory he didn't want the Philistines to control what belongs to God himself and the king's honor is at stake the people need food not only do people need physical food people need spiritual food they need to be fed Shama was used to the Lord to bring victory and his loyalty to God caused him to risk his life in defense of that little barley field he would defend everything that rightfully belonged to the father how was he successful because he kept in mind in the beginning what was going to matter in the end Shama understood something about the tactics of warfare he said maybe this field was nothing but an ordinary pea patch but this attack is not random this is a highly strategic attack from the enemy perhaps the Philistines chose this little pea patch because they thought no one would bother to defend it it's just a worthless little field we can take it without a battle but on this piece of land the Philistines are going to establish a stronghold they're going to have a base of operations and they will launch future attacks on God's people Shama knew that if he compromised this little pea patch soon the enemy will be kicking down his front door 
and he was fiercely determined not to give up one inch to the enemy. Nothing. When the enemy comes to assault your life, this is from a book called At War with Satan, when he comes to assault your life, he's not going to start with the thing you're most diligent over. He's going to attack your little pea patch. The thing he figures, ah, oh, she's not going to bother to defend that. She'll probably compromise here. And that compromise, he's going to establish a stronghold and try to take over your whole life. If we can defend even the smallest, the most insignificant pea patches in our lives, the enemy will never be able to gain a foothold. Now, the more territory you give up now, the more you're going to have to take back later. Somewhere along the way, you've got to stop retreating. Sooner or later, you've got to join the battle. The Christian's enemy is not concerned about unproductive fields or the wasteland of sins. The enemy is focused what is spiritually working, what is doctrinally sound. Our enemy is at war against fields that are producing for the Lord and have the potential for a rich harvest. Churches are being attacked by the enemy. Families are being attacked. Our culture is coming against us. So defending the pea patch might have seemed rather insignificant to onlookers or to others who didn't value the field. But to King David, it was everything. And he placed Shammah in his top three mighty men. He had courage. Where did this courage come from? From God. He had on the whole armor. He's dwelling at the fountain gate. That's the first power gate where you have the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he enables you to be able to have this kind of courage. He was faithful. He defended this pea patch. He took the first step. And he stood there, and with the initiative, he struck down the Philistines. Now, what made the difference in this victory, how it turned out? One man who refused to run away and turned the tide of the battle. And through him, God brought about a great victory. This is some of David's last thoughts in chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. And these three men are going to go risk their lives to bring David a cup of water. And it says, the three of the thirty chief then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time, and at harvest time there's no rain, and the cisterns are empty. They came to David at the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines is kept over here in the valley of Rephaim. David is in the stronghold. The garrison of the Philistines is in Bethlehem which is only about five miles outside of Jerusalem. David said with a longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men, they broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water from that well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they took it and they brought it back to David. Nevertheless, he wouldn't drink it. But he poured that water out before the Lord. And David said, the king, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Isn't this the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? 
were they commanded by David to go get that cup of water? Were they compelled by duty to have to go get it? No, they were not. They loved their king more than their own lives. God always has a remnant. He always has a remnant. So what made them mighty? And I have three steps for you. First, they were close to the king. They were close enough to hear his whisper. Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from that well in Bethlehem by the gate. They were close enough to hear him. If I want to be a mighty one in the kingdom of God, I need to be close enough to my king to know his desires and hear his words. The most effective soldiers of Jesus Christ are the ones who form the closest personal relationship with the Lord. Paul says, everything else in my life is worthless. Remember, it's trash, it's dung, compared to what? The infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Nothing else matters. Count all things to be lost. What's your first priority every day? It should be to know God better. Know him better. Number two, they were committed. They heard David make a wish as their command and not just lip service. They took the wish as a command, not just lip service. They're so committed and enthusiastic in their service to David, they jumped to their feet and marched off to battle. Remember, he had whispered it, that they were close enough to hear the whisper. They were courageous and they obeyed at any cost. The Philistines had established a permanent military installation within the walled city of Bethlehem. But in spite of the danger of the consequences, they traveled 12 miles. They broke through the enemy lines, and they came back with the water. They were prepared to risk their life and limb to please their king. In 1 Chronicles 28.20, it says, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God my God is with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. So this, these mighty men are a picture of a spirit-filled believer. Was there great conflict? Yes, this is Satan's big target when you are living the spirit-filled life. The enemy was out to destroy. Is it a place of great courage? Yes, because the enemy's greatest weapon is fear. So you're going to have to have a lot of courage that you get only from the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is a great victory. We've seen examples all through here now. God defeated the enemy through those mighty men. They were close enough to hear the whispered words of their king. They were committed enough when they heard his wish. They took it as a command. And they were courageous enough that we will obey him at any cost. I found this quote. It says, every great story has a great conflict that's been overcome it's a good quote it says when David looked into the cup he didn't see water he saw the blood of the three men who had risked their lives to satisfy just his desire for a cup of water to drink that water would demean his men and cheapen the brave de uh, deed of the three heroes instead David turned the cave into a temple he poured the water out as a drink offering to the Lord. 
It was an act of dedication that symbolized a person's life poured out in the service of the Lord. The three men had given themselves as a sacrifice to the Lord to save, to serve David. J.C. Ryle says, It costs something to be a real Christian, according to the standard of the Bible. There are enemies that we have to overcome. There are battles we're going to have to fight. There are sacrifices that we will make. There is an Egypt that we all must forsake. There's a wilderness that we will all pass through, and we all will have a cross to carry. Many Christians are defeated in their Christian life because they're not seriously engaged in the warfare to which they are called. Our life is full of spiritual warfare. The saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. He goes on to say, They go through the motions, they'll attend religious services each week, but of that great spiritual warfare, watching it, struggling with it, the agonies of it, the anxieties, the battles and the contest of all this, they appear to know nothing at all. David Livingstone, who was a missionary to Africa, received this letter. We would like to send some other men to help you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? He says, if you have men who will only come if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. He said, I want men who will come if there's no road at all. The remnant. When God has done a significant work, he always does it through a band of people that are committed. His remnant. God doesn't work through the lukewarm, but through those who are fervent in their love for Jesus Christ and in his kingdom. Paul said the Christian life is nothing less than warfare against the hideous enemy that Martin Luther called the Prince of Darkness Grim. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul told him, there is a great door ineffectual. It's opened unto me, but there's many adversaries. Adversaries always go with an effective ministry. Paul told Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, Paul is not exhorting Timothy to be just a common or an ordinary soldier. He says, You need to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For all soldiers and all true soldiers, they may not be a good soldier. There are men who are just a soldier and nothing more. They only need a sufficient temptation and they readily become cowardly. They become idle. They become useless. And they become worthless. But he is the good soldier who's bravest of the brave. He's courageous at all times. He's zealous. He does his duty with his heart and earnestness the image of soldiering paints a passionate picture for each believer to pursue what does our commander require instant obedience to his orders deep loyalty rigid self-discipline be bold in speaking out and valor in defense of truth 
These qualities should characterize each one of Christ's servants and remind us the path of my devotion to Jesus Christ, it is not easy and it's not instant. It's long and it can be very difficult. Shama strategically placed himself in the middle of that pea patch to defend it. Many people who are called to a particular field will lose their focus because they become distracted and they wander to the fringes of their field. Sometimes they even drift into another field they were never called to serve in. If you're going to remain in the center of God's will for your life, you have to resolve to stand in the middle of the field to which he called you and remain focused without allowing the enemy to distract you from that call. For Shama, there were two options, win or die. He stood his ground, and he defended the pea patch, but it's God that will get the victory. When we are courageous and bold and stand, God will get the victory. So he said, stand in your field and fight until God gives the victory. That requires a quality that a lot of us do not possess, which is perseverance. Seems to be lacking. When you talk about perseverance, it's the secret ingredient. The prefix per means through and severe. Victory will come to people who press through severe battles to the other side, but they don't quit. You can be extraordinarily gifted. You can be talented. You can be anointed and blessed. But without persistence, you're going to have very little impact because the great victories are always on the other side of a great battle. Maturity and effective ministry requires steadfast endurance and abiding faith. If you effectively flee sin and pursue a Christ-like character to minister greatly, serve diligently, you're discipling people aggressively, you teach clearly, you have to have a soldier's mentality. Have you thrown away your spear? Remember the spear that killed 800 men? John Calvin asked, have you thrown away your spear? Are you a believer who made a great show of valor, but now you're more concerned about your comfort, your convenience, and your safety? If you have thrown your spear away and you're living for your comfort, you have become effeminate in the faith. Quote, A good soldier doesn't quit because he faces a difficult task or a dangerous situation. He knows his life is expendable, and he's got to be prepared to lay it down if it's required. General Marshal Falk, who was in, uh, a French general in World War I, he commanded an officer when he's talking to him. He said, you must not retire. You must hold your position at all cost. And the soldier looked at him, and he said, then that means we must die he said precisely Eliezer fought so long and so hard in one battle his hand froze to the sword perseverance is not an option it's imperative that we have perseverance if Eliezer or Shama would have let go of their sword or stopped fighting the enemy the enemy would have killed them so if you let go of God's calling on your life, whatever he's called you to, and you let go of it, you will never fulfill it. 
because whatever God has for you to do, if you let go of that calling, you cannot do it in your own strength. You just persevere and keep on with whatever he's called you to. My part is to obey and stand firm until God gives the victory. So the prayer as we end, may we stand in our respective fields as David's mighty men did. They were prepared to fight to the death for God's kingdom. When the day comes for us to leave this world, I pray the sword will have to be pried out of my lifeless fingers. At the end, may we not be found sitting in front of a television set, but may we be found with our boots strapped on in the field where God has assigned us. Never give up, never retreat, never surrender to the enemy. Stand and fight and endure to the end. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you.